IED explosion in Barrie, Ontario puzzles investigators. Premier Scott Moe has decided that trans children should be exempt from their charter rights. Fifteen unmarked graves at the site of a former residential school in Yukon have been identified. A totem pole is coming home for good for the first time in nearly 100 years. And Western leaders condemn the plans for junta-controlled Myanmar to hold an election. Good morning. It's Friday, September 29th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, we start in Barrie, Ontario, where an improvised explosive device exploded in a West End neighborhood. Christian Devino from CTV News reports that it's believed that the device was inside a vehicle and then detonated at 3 o'clock in the morning. Residents were evacuated and there were two damaged cars, but the blast was, quote, contained to a parking lot, unquote. The explosion resulted in a massive police operation. Several streets were closed down while police say they were neutralizing the threat, quote-unquote. Police are hoping that someone caught the blast on camera so that they can see it. Next to Saskatchewan, where the only premier known to have literally killed someone before, Scott Moe, has announced his intention to invoke the notwithstanding clause. That will allow his government to put the screws to trans children. Yesterday, a judge ruled that the government's planned naming and pronoun policy violated the rights of young people, and, as CBC's Jason Warwick says, quote, should be paused for the time being, unquote. This is what the judge had to say. I determine the protection of these youth surpasses the interest expressed by the government pending a full and complete hearing. The government called the judge's decision, quote unquote, judicial overreach because they say a lot of citizens support it. Of course, popular support is meaningless if the law violates the charter. It's exactly why the charter exists, so that we can't have oppression at the rule of the majority. The notwithstanding clause allows governments to pass legislation that would violate the fundamental freedoms, legal rights, and equality rights of citizens. Doug Ford invoked it once and promised to invoke it once, though didn't have to. One time to attack unions and one time to shrink the size of municipal council in the city of Toronto. Francois Legault is probably the most famous recent user of the clause with Bill 21, the bill that prohibits anyone who wears religious symbols to wear them while working as a judge, a cop, or a teacher. Quebec also used Section 33 for all of its legislation for years as a show of their opposition to Canada's constitution. It was a legal challenge launched by the campus group UR Pride at the University of Regina that put the legislation in court. The NDP and the province's children's advocate have both clearly and swiftly opposed the legislation. And now to Carcross, Yukon, where 15 potential unmarked grave sites have been located at the former Chutla Indian Residential School site. Sarah Connor with APTN is reporting that a search using ground-penetrating radar has found 15 anomalies. Another 12 were found further away. The search was conducted over 9.2 acres and happened during the summer. The next step would be to disrupt the sites, something that the communities impacted need to either decide to go ahead and do or to decide to leave the ground undisturbed. Officially, according to the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, 20 students died while having attended the school. But new research compiled by Nicole Marion with the group No History has said that they were able to identify 33 deaths. They looked through the nearly 5,000 records, and even though 1,300 students were reported to have attended the school between 1903 and 1969, the group could only identify 900 names of those students due to poor record keeping. 
they could only identify home communities for 730 of the 1,300 children. Marion said that the deaths included, quote, children who died from illness or injury at the Chutla Residential School, children who had contracted an illness or were injured at school and died after being taken to Whitehorse Hospital, and children who died outside of the school while involved in school-related activities, unquote. There are also missing pieces related to the deaths, and in some cases, records have been redacted. One thing that they do not know is where the children were buried. Families and communities are still needing information, and the working group overseeing the search have promised to do what they can to uncover that information. And if you are a survivor of residential school or an intergenerational survivor, you can call the National Indian Residential School hotline 24 hours a day if you need to speak to someone. The number is 1-866-925-4419. Next, to a celebration that is welcoming home a memorial totem pole that has been gone for nearly 100 years. The totem pole belongs to the Nizga Nation and is being returned to its ancestral village home, a Nizga village in northwest British Columbia called Nass Valley. The totem pole is called the House of Nishnul Memorial Totem, and it's been on display at the National Museum of Scotland since 1930. Its return isn't about stolen artwork, reports the Canadian press's Dirk Meissner. Instead, it's an act of reconciliation. The homecoming is expected to be a big event with hundreds of people anticipated to be there. The totem pole is being carried by a Canadian Armed Forces aircraft all the way from Edinburgh. The totem pole was stolen in 1929 by an ethnographer. He was researching the Nisga Nation and then sold it to the Scottish Museum. A delegation traveled to Scotland and asked for it to be rematriated to them in August 2022. When the community had asked the totem pole to be returned two decades ago, the museum had refused, saying that it was too old to be transported. There are also discussions between the Museum of Scotland and the Nisga of the possibility of future collaborations together. And finally to Myanmar, where leaders of the coup in February 2021 have announced their intention to hold an election. Al Jazeera is reporting that the election will be quote-unquote tightly controlled, which has triggered harsh condemnation from the UK, Canada, and the United States. Taiwan has also been vocal in their criticism. In 2021, Myanmar's military generals took power over from the National League for Democracy, the party of Aung San Suu Kyi. Since then, the new government has developed new election laws, a process that dissolved the National League for Democracy and 39 other parties. They had refused to comply with a political party registration law, which Al Jazeera called, quote-unquote, tough. The dissolved parties had won 89% of the seats in the November 2020 election. There is no date yet for the proposed vote. The leader of the coup is Senior General Ming Ang Hlaing, and he has Russia's firm support, says Al Jazeera. China has also developed economic ties with the junta, and members of the Union Election Commission have visited China. This past month, Lieutenant Generals So Hutut and Mo Mintun were both removed from the group that is currently ruling Myanmar called the State Administration Council. They were removed over corruption charges. But Al Jazeera quotes several people who question whether or not they were actually removed for corruption, like Priscilla Clapp, who is the chief of mission and permanent charge d'affaires at the U.S.'s Burma embassy from 1999 to 2002. Clapp says that their removal suggests that there is infighting among members of the council. An anonymous Burmese analyst in Yangon called the removals quote-unquote corrective purges. In the time that the junta has been in power, the military has killed more than 4,000 civilians and arrested almost 25,000 people, according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, and more than 1.6 million people have been internally displaced. 
Global Affairs Canada has said this, quote, regime plans to administer elections are a clear attempt to formalize the military's illegal seizure of power and demonstrates the regime's contempt for the unwavering democratic aspirations of the Myanmar people. Any election imposed by force and in the absence of fundamental civil and political rights would not be free or fair, will not represent the will of the Myanmar people, and will not be a viable path towards inclusive peace and democracy. Those are your headlines for Friday, September 29th. I'm Nora. Remember, tomorrow is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Get your orange shirts out, try to find an event near you, and participate in commemorative activities. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is so critical as part of our collective reckoning and understanding with the horrors that have been committed by our state. Canada has no clean hands and the Canadian government still does not do what it needs to do to stop ongoing colonialization. So make a priority tomorrow. Do something. Bring your kids out to an event. Bring your parents out to an event. Talk to your friends and family about what this day commemorates and all of the hurt and the trauma that was driven within residential schools. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnor.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you on the other side.